Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Puatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Puatic, sitting here with Aaron Cameron at the Ottawa Real Estate Forum. Our guest today is Sean Hamilton, who's Senior Vice President and Managing Director of the CBRE Ottawa office. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks, guys. As part of the advisory and transaction services, what is advisory and transaction services? Generally, that's our brokerage division. So CBRE being the global juggernaut, we've got property management, project management, global workplace solutions, and advisory and transactions. I'm part of that group. Let's maybe segue back and then come back to kind of more about CBRE. But why don't we, as always, kind of go into how you ended up in real estate and how you ended up today in your current role? That's a good question because like a lot of people, I didn't even know this industry existed. I went to university. I had the hopes of being a Canadian diplomat like my father, didn't make the cut and then became unemployed on my parents' couch and needed to figure out what to do. And my mother was in residential real estate and her broker hired me to sort of be his runner, his errand person. And I worked with him for a year and learned a lot and was drafted by a company called J.J. Barnicky, whom a lot of us know, is now part of Cushman and Wakefield, and started out in their research group and learned more about this industry and thought it was pretty neat. Worked my tail off, moved into the sales floor, just as Nortel was expanding into Ottawa and was lucky enough to be trusted with that account in Ottawa, helping with build to suits with subleases with the whole gamut on what I would call a huge scale. And that really gave me the foundation of real estate that I sort of grew with and went into the office leasing world and did that for about 20 years. And then at CBRE, had an opportunity to move into management, which was very exciting, which was actually a really interesting opportunity to use my research background and the scope of what I had learned doing the Nortel account having a what I would call a broad knowledge. I say that with no pomposity. I was just exposed to a lot. And really encapsulating 27 years, it was an accidental fluke. Some good people that trusted me moving from research into sales into management. And that's how I got here today. So I got to ask you right back to the start of your story. The desire to be a diplomat, was that from growing up in the Ottawa environment? Were you born and raised there? No. Again, my dad being a diplomat, I was a product of overseas. So I was oh, born course, in yeah. Stockholm, Sweden and lived all around the world and spent a lot of my life in Canada, but it was the only life I knew. So I had an English degree. So in the absence, what do you do with an English degree? You get into real estate. Uh, you get into real estate, <laughs> it seems, right? So I was crushed when I didn't get in. And I'm so grateful to this day that I didn't get it. That's the, is that like the CSIS test you have to take? Or well, yeah. How does that I, work? I, don't, I didn't even make it to that cutoff. And I don't even want to say if I'd pass that one or not. But clearly there were other more competent people for the diplomacy over me. So here I am. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a bit about the, I guess, the growth and then we'll call it the reversal of growth of Nortel during, you know, highlighted throughout your career? It was really something, and Nortel, I think, was indicative of what was happening a lot in North America at that time in terms of speed to market and growth and even harnessing ideas and capitalizing ideas, monetizing ideas that didn't even have a business case was huge. So our real estate was based on fundamentals in terms of rental rates, returns, and, and growth. But little did we know that we were supporting a business and businesses that really we're hoping that they would achieve projections. So we had massive projects that were 
delivering hundreds of thousands and even millions of square feet in Ottawa, as were a bunch of the other tech companies in Ottawa. And when business cases didn't come to fruition, it was a rapid reversal in terms of we went from building to subleasing space. I'm not throwing Nortel under the bus. They were doing what everybody else was in terms of hoping to achieve a growth that they thought was there. And in some cases, in certain avenues of business, it was, but in others, it wasn't. It was a really interesting ride from a a real estate viewpoint in terms of putting projects together, delivering projects in a small city of Ottawa. Ottawa was much smaller at that time. This whole phenomenon was what we now know as the tech wreck, the dot bomb, whatever you want to call it, right? In terms of everybody sounded great, everybody had great projections, but there didn't seem to be any strong fundamentals supporting it. And consequently, North America went through a bursting of the bubble. And, you know, if you want to remind yourself of that, just go back and look at the last 20 years of what the NASDAQ did. I think we're only getting back to, to where NASDAQ was in 1999-2000. Was there a moment as you're in the process thinking, this is crazy, like, do you, you, sorry, you want how many square feet of industrial and how many office this space on, do you On the want? way up the roller coaster? Yeah, ride? I don't know. Like, was there a point where you're like, mm, I'm not sure this is sustainable, or were you kind of like, this makes sense, like everybody seems to be so supportive and other people are doing it. And yeah, it was, know, how, what was the experience of going through that? Because maybe put some time horizon on it. Like, what was the years? How many years were it? Was so the it? years would have been about 96 to 99, 96 so to sort 2000. sort of a three-year yeah. ride. And we had just come out of, or, you know, 93 was not the best time to get into commercial real estate. We were in another recession. We were still dealing with overbuilding from the late 1980s. There was a lot of people turning buildings over on the loan-to-own program with non-recourse financing. So we went from the doldrums of commercial real estate, plus at that time it was the Paul Martin government who was doing government cutbacks and slashing and burning. So it was a dark time. And then all of a sudden, Nortel just erupted out of the embers. Now, I knew no different. I thought, hey, this is normal. I get a phone call. Hey, we need 100,000 square feet. I'm not oversimplifying this. The phone would ring and we need 100,000 square feet. And of course, you think this is great. But there's also work that goes behind delivering on that. But then you sort of take your cues from people around you. And it seemed that everyone around, it was either you join in into this great flurry of activity or you die from a business perspective. So we didn't know any different. If people wanted to be competitive, this is what you had to do. And it was partly survival. It was like, okay, sure, I'll go get you as many square feet as you want. Well, correct. But Nortel wasn't the only one. You know, you would have companies showing up literally with a VC war chest saying, we don't make anything yet, but we've got $40 million in the bank. We need 100,000 square feet to make our flux capacitors. And you would deliver on that. And then when people went to make their flux capacitors and there was no market for it or the technology had become outdated or they had been overly optimistic, that's when the house of cards started to fall, which is, I also want to say in sharp contrast, because we are going to talk about Ottawa and how well it's doing and well it's growing. One of the biggest differences is that we have solid business fundamentals and people actually making a product, selling a product and having an idea. So I like to hope that we've learned from our mistakes of old. Clearly, in 1999, people hadn't learned from their mistakes from the late 1980s. But notwithstanding, I was fortunate to have learned from that and been exposed to a lot of really interesting real estate that I'm grateful for to this day. Well, let's fast forward then. A good segue. Using your office background maybe is a good place to start. We're going to kind of meander through a bunch of different fundamentals and asset classes within the Ottawa region. 
But let's start with office. What are you seeing today in the office market? What does it look like? And where is it going? Kind of, you want to use your crystal ball and say in five years, this is the path we're taking. Yeah. So let me answer that in part. So I think given the scope of your listenership, there's going to be a lot of people going, Yahoo, this is a podcast in Ottawa. This is going to be a snooze fest because I can only listen to government for so long. And that image of Ottawa. is ex-diplomat, by the way. (laughs) That image of Ottawa certainly existed. I mean, when I was in research doing statistics back in the 90s and the 2000s, you literally had to just change the title page on your report and your stats wouldn't change from year to year. It was boring. The city was uncharismatic at that time. And so what we're starting to see now is some real growth and some real vibe and a real private sector starting to emerge in coexistence with the federal government. We are going to be always a government town and they're, you know, they represent 175,000 workers in Ottawa. To put in comparison, tech is 70,000 people. But what we're starting to see is growth, vibrance, a sense of community, city infrastructure development. We're really seeing the full gamut. So what the buzzword today in office is, we're seeing growth, we're seeing excitement, we're seeing diversification with the private sector primarily on the backs of tech. And with that, there's a whole trickle-down effect. So one thing I talk about when I deliver market outlooks is, if you look at the GDP of our average civil servant, it's in and around that $125,000, $126,000 per person per year. That takes into account their benefits, their pensions, as well as their salaries. You look at the GDP output of the average Canada, and Canada's our tech hub, which is 20 minutes in the west of Ottawa. The average GDP output of a tech worker is close to $300,000 a year. So already now, we're tripling the GDP of our per-person output, which brings to it a prosperity in the city. People can afford bigger houses. They can afford fancier cars. Companies can afford higher rent. So we're really starting to see a trickle-down effect of strong economy because of growth of tech. So that is one of the biggest culture Which can be challenging for landlords, I suspect, because if you've got an office building that is predominantly government lease, there's a different usage case, a different infrastructure. Is there stress on the system to find? I mean, again, everybody's brain kind of sees these tech companies as these big open spaces and bring bag chairs and and yeah, like, (laughs) and is it just a matter of TIs and they just kind of gets captured into the the initial lease? Are we seeing new builds simply to accommodate the needs of that sort of tech company employee? So we are seeing a culture shift with landlords in the downtown who are needing to reposition themselves to cater to technology. To put in perspective, urban technology or downtown technology is new in Ottawa. It didn't exist in any, any substantial form. And it came out of the woodwork because the federal government had downsized recently. Recently, I mean, maybe seven, eight years ago. And there was no backfilling of the space by federal government. And people were worried, who's going to backfill our buildings? Let's just wait for the feds. And the feds didn't bounce back. And then what happened was urban technology started to come and take the space that the federal government had left behind. Now, By and large, a lot of that was on the backs of Shopify, who's an Ottawa company who expanded with a new build in about 2008, 2009. But we saw that there was a halo effect and landlords were starting to lease space instead of to the federal government to the likes of SurveyMonkey, likes of Clipfolio, Telesat, move downtown from the suburbs in order to attract, retain, and engage talent. Talent's a big driver. And landlords didn't need to make huge upgrades to their building with the exception of Shopify, who is a unique user of space. 
But the government, in fairness to them, they generally push the standards of occupancy in terms of wanting a quality envelope, notwithstanding what you might hear in the news. But their new leased accommodations are generally good. So the infrastructure was strong. Where landlords needed to adapt was the density of the technology tenants was much greater than that of the federal government. So demands on HVAC, demands on electrical, demands on parking and amenities was much greater. But structurally, the buildings were sound. But the big key was getting landlords to change their mindset from how do we attract to the feds to how do we attract technology. And I don't know if that answers your well, question. No, it, it does. It does. And who, if you're a landlord or maybe they're your clients, who do they want more? Do they want that government tenant or do they want that technology yeah. tenant? So that's a really good question. So we didn't have choice before. It was either the feds or... You know, you and you some satellite office of some financial institution or something like that. And you know what? We have all the law firms we needed. We have all the accounting firms that we needed. They weren't a real growth industry. And so now, and this is very interesting, at least to me, with the federal government having competition for space with urban tech, let's go back to the GDP. Technology companies, I think, have an ability to pay more in rent should they want. Not that they want to, but they can afford it. And so landlords are at the point where they get a choice. Do I want the security of the federal government or do I want potentially the premium and the vibe of a technology company? And some landlords will choose one. Some landlords will choose the other. What's the end result of this? The end result of this is, remember I said, when Shopify expanded, there was essentially no urban tech downtown. We've gone from zero to 700,000 square feet of urban technology growth in our downtown core. It now represents the second largest user group in our core behind the federal government, and it's bigger than our legal community and accounting communities combined. So clearly, something's happening there. And the flip side of that, then, we're talking about the security of government versus the potential higher net rents you get out of the Shopify's of the world. On the lending side, you know, Aaron and I are both lenders, of course, and we assume everybody finds this super fascinating. But if you are showing up at you know, your bank or your lender's office with a brand new lease in hand, you actually had the choice between Shopify or a government tenant, and you are negotiating your interest rate, what kind of a premium would you see? Or, or I guess a discounted interest rate? Because I know as lenders, we love security. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I, I mean, 100 times out of 100, I'm choosing that federal government yep. tenant as, over as a the lender. Tenant. Yeah, yes. as the lender. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you guys, all due respect, are a risk-averse business. Well, exactly. Right? So, no, exactly. Uh, we like boring. That's why we like Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> so let's call stable. Stable, not yeah. boring. Sorry, but yeah. no. So we're seeing anywhere from 10 to 20 basis points as a premium in terms of, again, depending on the asset class, but depending, depending on... Depending on the, the, the landlord too, right? Because they have their different... Correct. Questions. But let's, let's cook the books here and call it core assets, you know, A-class assets, would uh, you would get a favorable lending rate of 10 to 20 points lower for a well-tenanted federal government lease. I mean, it's still it's a triple A. It's a triple A cash flow, right? right? Now, there are some idiosyncrasies with the federal government that the private sector doesn't have. They pay their rent at the end of the month. Their floor measurement is different. The way they calculate operating expenses are different. They escalate operating costs at a different schedule. But all of that, when you put it in the oven and bake it and take it out, lenders will say, and investors will say, we like this. We're willing to pay a lower cap rate and we're... Yeah, because the first thing I'd be thinking about is Nortel. If you'd said, I've got this great tech tenant coming in paying, you know, 35 bucks at net, net effective rent versus the federal government paying 25 bucks 
but it's 20 years and it's coupon clipping, Correct. right? So. Well, there is interesting math we could do if we wanted to take a half hour break and nerd out <laughs> where that, that uh, 20 basis point difference on interest rate, what that would account for in the dollar value of increased rent yeah. and see what, see what that uh, counts for. And we're not going to, but... Uh, <laughs> Someone do it. Let us know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to industrial next. I think that's kind yep. of a natural trickle down. So industrial, you know, we've covered this in, in previous podcasts where the industrial market in Ottawa is kind of unique. There seems to be a bit of a supply constraint the, and the rents kind of reflect that. And so maybe I'm just curious, just in general, what your take is. Is there supply coming? Is there relief on some of those rents? I mean, the rents are some of the highest in the country. They're 12 bucks. What's up with that? Yeah. So it's really interesting. I mean, there's a whole bunch going on with industrial. Let's first start with just our vacancy rate. I mean, we're at about 2% vacant, which is the lowest we've ever been in Ottawa. We've had a gradual over the last seven, eight years, tightening up of the market to where we are now. The issue is now we don't have any land of any real scale that people can develop upon. So I'm confused by that. And I don't know Ottawa very well. Mm. So hopefully I represent the majority of the listeners. Ottawa looks like, I mean, okay, I know you've got the The border, right? You've got the, the border to Quebec. But there seems to be a lot of growth on, on other areas. So what is that constraint? The east, then? southwest. I mean, the west, you've got Canada. So obviously there's room to grow out there in the south and theoretically the east. Yeah. So one thing we've got is we've got a ring of green space around the city, mm-hmm. which is mandated by the National Capital Commission, which is a quasi-federal level of government whose mandate is to keep Ottawa beautiful capital for the benefit of all Canadians. And within that, they have designated a ring around the city of green. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But it ironically borders all of our industrial areas. So there's no real room. There's green belt on one side and residential on another. There isn't any room to grow within our traditional industrial nodes. Now, the new nodes or the areas to grow are untested right now in terms of where where people can grow. This is why Amazon went out into the extreme East End, because there was no real land. And how far are they from sort of the downtown core? Uh, they're about 25 minutes from the downtown core. They're probably about 15 minutes east from our traditional East End node. What we're starting to see is we didn't know where people were going to grow or how sensitive they were to moving from traditional nodes. But we're starting to see areas like Amazon and Boundary Road. We're even seeing areas farther east of where Amazon are in a small municipality called Vars, which is, again, 30 minutes east of Parliament Hill. We're seeing people move east or west of Canada, again, 30 minutes west from Parliament Hill. That's where our growth seems to be happening. And ironically, the growth is happening in areas that are not even serviced with sewers and water. I mean, these are places that have well and septic but it's the affordability of land and the availability of land. And some of these areas are outside of the city borders. So there's different development charges. There's different approval processes. So people are now showing a willingness to go outside of traditional areas. Now, problem with Ottawa is we're having solid growth, but that growth is coming on the backs of tenants of 5,000, 10,000, 15, 20,000. It's not like driving along the 401 or passing through Milton where you've got million square foot building after million square foot building. The average size of our buildings in Ottawa are about 40,000 square feet. And to get any economies of scale and building today, you need a 100,000 square foot block or bigger. The problem with that is with our small tenancies, the subdividing costs of building a new building mean that landlords have to build for $12, $13, $14 net a square foot. And right now we're at about $10, $50, $11 a square foot. And it's untested whether tenants are willing to pay that rental premium 
recognizing also that with the declining vacancy over the course of the last five years, rents have gone from seven fifty eight bucks up to their ten fifty eleven. So this group's already feeling squeezed from a rental perspective. We don't know. That's not to say they can't afford it, but we have not tested that part of the market yet. And once somebody goes over that threshold, I think we will start to see some dynamic development, he says with his fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke with James Beach from Broccolini yep. about the Amazon development. Do you know the, the lease rates out there? Honest answer, given that we were involved in the disposition of that, I'm not able to comment okay, on that. Okay, fair enough. Sorry, and I, <laughs> I'd be raked over the coals. Okay. You know. Well, we, uh, we won't push you on that yeah. one then. What is the highest watermark you've seen, though, in the last year of leasing? So the highest watermark, I think I've seen some 12s, right? But those are rare when people are moving out to these east and west suburbs of, if I can call them that, we're still in that sort of $9 range. So people right now are starting to to really give thought to, do I need to be where I am at 12, 13, or do I want to be where the rent is cheaper? So now we're at that confluence of, is it location or price that's the winner, right? But there have been a couple, but it's not a groundswell yet, right? And these are smaller users. The jury is out. I think, frankly, they will pay it, but they're they're balking at the price as I would as well. But what are the options? If you don't have space and you need to be accommodated, either your business can't fundamentally exist under current rental rates or you need to to step up and, and pay the freight. Now that, that sounds, I know, fairly harsh. I don't mean it to, but Either Ottawa stops growing industrially or tenants will have to pay more. One of the curious headwinds that we're seeing, and I suspect this is across the country, I don't know for sure, but certainly in Toronto we're seeing it, is that a lot of the older stock, sort of the 30, 40, 50-year-old industrial stock, that's much more urban, right? Better located because at the time they were built on the outskirts, but which is no longer the outskirts. But what we're seeing is those are being acquired for redevelopment into single family or into mixed use simply because they're in great locations, they're in high demand, they're often on transportation corridors. They're right up against a residential neighborhood that doesn't really want that industrial use space right next door. And that's almost the opposite, right? You've, now you've got a downward pressure on supply, which is having the opposite impact you want to make more affordable rent. Are you seeing that at all in, in Ottawa? No, we're not. Partially because we don't have a lot of that asset class that you're talking about. But interestingly enough, I was having a conversation with Hugh Gorman, who you guys may know of Colonnade Bridgeport, who was talking about the need for the importance of that type of industrial space to remain industrial space, not for warehousing or shipping, but more for the local service companies, whether it be your contractor, your plumbing, your tile company. They tend to coexist well in those sort of urban areas with residential. And those are the people, you know, small businesses, they feel the squeeze of pricing. Those are the ones who would benefit most from that sort of urban type industrial space. Mm -hmm. Again, Ottawa, it's fortunate most of any urban industrial space that we have is smaller. That would appeal to this sort of five to 15,000 square foot type tenancy. So it hasn't been a trend yet that we have seen. And you talk to our friends at Diamond, they'll probably say, well, they'd rather, they'll take on those tenants, right? They'll retrofit them, sell their self-storage units into supply for sure. that need. And the Diamond guy, I mean, let's just remind uh, the gentle listener out there that this is another Ottawa success yeah, yeah. story, right? They have taken a need and exploded on that. And, and this is high quality indoor use correct. storage facilities. I'm seeing it in my neighborhood where you're seeing, I've got a storage locker. And when I'm in there Saturday afternoon or Monday morning, whenever it is, there's a ton of sort of white vans, your service providers in there, they use it for storage. They don't have that industrial space. And I think part of it is the flexibility. You can turn it on, turn it off, grow, shrink, 
makes it way more dynamic. Now, it's probably a bit more expensive to use self-storage as your sort of industrial space. But if it's really just to park a car or hold stuff while your workers are off-site, it may be of value to you. And we're seeing small businesses do that. It just makes sense for them to use a place like Diamond for their inventory storage and whatnot. Again, it's appealing to the smaller user. I think part of the reason why it's been so successful in Ottawa is because you are dealing with your clientele who wants small spaces. You can charge a premium that to a traditional warehouser that would look huge, but to you and your storage locker, it's X a month and you can afford that. However, so there's a new diamond, 400,000 square foot diamond facility that just opened up right near my current storage facility. And I'll tell you, when it's the middle of February and I, go, I have to go get something from my storage locker, I'll be looking over and being like, I wish I was indoors right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm old school. I live in a house, have to rake the leaves and cut the grass. And the idea of having all my storage offsite somewhere, I don't particularly understand. But this is now the phase where I'm starting to become a dinosaur, it seems. so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not everybody can have a house with a basement, right? That's, I guess, the challenge. In Ottawa, you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's probably worth addressing too. In terms of you know major urban centers across Canada, you can get a lot of space for a very reasonable price as compared to obviously Toronto, Vancouver being the most glaring examples of unaffordable living in this country. Do you know off the top of your head? I know it's that falls out of the realm of commercial real estate, but do you know average house pricing in Ottawa? My brain is telling me it's around the 450 mark. That sounds to me about right. Maybe it's 500, but I think in Toronto, what is it downtown? It's over, it's over, it's a, over million, a million, yeah. Over a million dollars. And We are starting to see, I mean, a phenomenon across all asset classes. We're seeing people move to Ottawa because if they have a family of three, three kids and, you know, a house in Toronto is, is problematic. We're seeing people come to Ottawa because they can afford it and they're trying their luck here, whether it be with the federal government or whether it be with technology. Certainly in an office space, our land prices aren't as high as Toronto and so are our natural A-class vacants or our A-class rental rates our all-time highs, I think we hit $30 a square foot. That's all-time, all history. Whereas in Toronto, I don't know, what are you at Bay Adelaide there? You're probably in the 50s or 60s on a, on a net yep, basis. Yep. So even if you look at it in the law practice, Toronto law firms are subbing out a lot of their work to Ottawa right now because Ottawa lawyers' rates are cheaper than Toronto rates. Mm. And so Ottawa is becoming a bastion of legal help to service Toronto. So, I mean, we're, we're lucky that we have that affordability and it trickles down right down to the hourly wage of a lawyer. So do you worry that it's going to change? I mean, with just the way we've seen it with Vancouver and then Toronto and now Montreal seems to be moving that way with rents up sort of 30, 40%. Is Ottawa sort of the next place where foreign capital comes pushing in and development starting to see way more demand for space? It sounds like in the office space, it's very healthy. Yeah. Industrial space, it's almost too healthy. I think we're going to talk about apartment rents going up and you know the demand for affordable apartments. Is that cause for concern? Yeah, I don't know if I'd use the word concern, but it's a normal cascading effect. I mean, you have London, Sydney, Paris, Rome that started out as being very uh, expensive. And then you got the trickle-down effect to the likes of Toronto. And Toronto benefited as a result of the high prices of these other global cities. Now, Toronto has become extremely competitive and compressed from a pricing viewpoint, the trickle down has come to Ottawa, right? So I think that's a a natural flow. I don't know if I'd call it a problem because prices are set to go up, whether it be residential, whether it be commercial, whether it be industrial. I think what's important is what's the rate of change, right? So I think we will always be cheaper than Toronto. Toronto will always be cheaper than New York, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. right? So one thing we're always aware of is what's our rate of change. Yes, our rate of change is high, 
from what we've seen traditionally in Ottawa, but I wouldn't put it in the same category as Toronto. So yes, our prices will go up. Yes, that will cause some discomfort. But on a global stage, I think we will always be be well-suited. Really healthy employment numbers too, which is one of the variables that has to be considered when you're talking about affordability. 100%. Now, we're lucky in that we will always have that moderating effect of the federal government. It's just nice to have a little bit of zip with that a vibrant tech sector that's now really taking hold and growing. The other thing to bear in mind is the city of Ottawa. I'm not talking about Gatineau at this point. I'm talking the city of Ottawa just hit a million people in the summer. And I think statistics have shown that when a city hits that critical mass of a million people, there is a certain upward spiral effect that contributes to growth regardless of what's happening. So I can't remember who told me, but someone said, someone who seemed in the know said, once a city hits a million people, you can count on 20,000 people growth just as a re- organic growth as a result of the city being that size. It just becomes more attractive, well, it just notionally, right? It, it just yeah. becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, add into that Gatineau, and we're a million five as an economic entity, but all of this will contribute to the dynamics that will cause prices to rise. But back to your issue of affordability... The fact that we have the federal government, I think, will keep us reined in from having huge spikes upwards in pricing. And so affordability, we might stretch that a bit, but I think we will always be an affordable city compared to Vancouver, Toronto, New York. Montreal certainly has a different dynamic. They're a very affordable city. The other thing to bear in mind is as Canadian cities, we are all affordable compared to a world stage. So in this age of wanting to attract talent from around the world, Canada, even Toronto, even Vancouver is well well positioned to attract that talent. Ottawa, I think, is at the thin edge of the wedge on that. You mentioned Gatineau a couple of times there. When you think of your business, do you think Ottawa and Gatineau? And how does that translate given the brokerage is governed provincially, not federally? Yeah, so the reality is 99% of what we do and what my competitors would do, you know, let's talk the big four and the commercial is, is going to be in Ottawa. People from Gatineau will work in Ottawa, but Gatineau is even more of a government town than than Ottawa is. I mean, for those of you who don't know, the federal government mandates that a certain percentage of federal government space has to be located on the Quebec side. So that's 25% of the federal government needs to be located in Gatineau. And so that props up their economy. But I'm not going to call it an artificial market, but it's a market that we don't touch. By and large, you know, the federal government does their own thing compared to a a private sector tenant. And there's some ancillary office space that supports government and that services the government, but it's not really of a scale that would warrant us going in there to service that market as we do Ottawa. Multi-res is a different story. There's density there. But from a commercial perspective, we really don't touch it. Sometimes we do. And when we do, you know, obviously we're bound by the law. So we will team up with our Montreal office so that we have a licensed person, but we will have an Ottawa person there to give perspective on local economy, local culture. We understand that market, but the Montreal people will be there from a a compliance and a legal viewpoint. And is it a two-way street? Do they come to you if the... Got no sides going to cross the border into uh We're CBRE. We cooperate yeah. all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all good. Uh, voulez-vous parler français? Yeah. Je parle un petit peu. <laughs> yeah. You like, wanted to be a diplomat. Yeah, you had to. Yeah. You mentioned multi-resin passing when we were talking about Gatineau. What is the state of the apartment market right now You know, on both sides of the border? It's going great guns. I mean, we've got cranes everywhere. We've got buildings coming out of the ground. The city of Ottawa 
has told us that they've had a record number of building permit applications all time. It seems to be, you know, the darling of the city. I mean, I say darling of the city along with industrial and core office assets, but really it is boom time in Ottawa. We haven't had any really significant multi-res development in Ottawa since the 1970s, even the 1960s. So it's obviously in response to a couple of things. New style of person with new expectations, new desires for how they want to spend their money and, and what kind of flexibility they want out of life. So renting appeals to them. But obviously, there's also an aging infrastructure that I think wasn't necessarily meeting the demands of people that is also needing to be refreshed. So add that together, coupled with low cost of money, coupled with growth, coupled with Ottawa really developing what I would call an urban feel. All of this is contributing to cranes in the air. It's interesting, going off topic a bit, one thing in Ottawa, and we hadn't discussed this, but we're really experiencing a construction crunch. So construction costs are going up primarily due to labor and soft costs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the federal government being such a huge consumer of trades and construction, add to that the multi-res boom, you know, the office and industrial market are also struggling to find trades, which is also contributing to... And and infrastructure projects, right? You've got a number of large infrastructure projects on the go with, thankfully, a lot of transportation projects, but that has a huge impact on soft costs and the availability of construction workers. Absolutely. So Ottawa has always been expensive from a construction viewpoint compared to the rest of the country. I don't think we're, we're no cheaper than Toronto. We have winter, we're on an earthquake zone. We have, again, this clamoring for trades and talent construction costs are high and multi-res is certainly one of the big contributors to that. It's interesting, again, I'm digressing, but one of the themes that we're seeing in all conversations with all business people, from people who own trucking companies to the CEOs of tech companies, they can't find talent. The construction industry I know is feeling that same way. I've spoken with the heads of the local community colleges about how they can get trades ramped up. They're struggling to find people just like anybody else. So you know, we're almost not held hostage. That's not the right word. But one of the big bottlenecks we're going to have as a city is just that access to people who can help build buildings. I have two trains of thought here. So you can pick which one you want to answer first. I guess I mentioned transportation, but I think there's some interesting developments going on in the strategy for moving people in Ottawa. So maybe you want to talk about that and the impact on real estate. And two, you know, just the demand to be downtown. I've always enjoyed my times in the downtown core. I don't remember there being many condos down there or or places to live in that core, but I suspect with this new trend of having more tech employees, there is a movement to be closer to the core. 100%. So I'm going to answer them both in one one answer. They're kind of connected, sure. If I can. So Ottawa, we're going for listeners out there, is going through the largest infrastructure investment that Ottawa's ever seen since the development of the Rideau Canal, which ironically was a form of rapid transit back 250 years ago, right? Just water-based. But we are now seeing rapid transit in terms of an LRT system coming. We are seeing, uh, you know, library, hospital infrastructure development. We're seeing sewer plant infrastructure development, not very sexy, but still very necessary. And all of this is in response to people wanting to be downtown. Now, Ottawa had some condominium development happening in the downtown that was somewhat stalled. And we scratched our head. All the fundamentals were there. Why is this stalled? And then we realized, here's condominium development that is preaching carless living. Live downtown, work downtown, play downtown. Yet there were no grocery stores, liquor stores. There was no uh, rapid transit. So there was a bit of a hold while everything sort of caught up to be able to service the downtown core. 
And certainly urban technology is a huge contributor to population growth downtown. You talk to the people at Shopify where the average age of the employee, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it's order of magnitude correct, in their mid to late 20s, right? And they, on average, have, I think, a 12-minute commute to work. And ironically, I remember this from speaking to people at Shopify, as far as they're concerned, Ottawa doesn't have a hockey team. It might as well be in Regina, right? Given the distance it is from our downtown course. Especially if you're trying to do carless living. Correct, carless living. So they are, they want to be downtown. They want that vibe downtown. And so now that we've got infrastructure downtown and companies employing downtown outside of the federal government, we're getting that hip new age worker who wants to be downtown. And I mean this quite literally. Our tech community was literally a suburban person who lived in a single family home, had a Ford Explorer with a kayak and a mountain bike on the roof. And now tech growth in our downtown core involves that person with a MacBook and a skateboard who works out of a Starbucks or appreciates that co-working type environment. We're seeing a real shift of culture of people. And so our infrastructure development is to accelerate that, to foster that, and to attract that. Sounds like a lot of exciting stuff going on in that town right now. Oh, it is. The fundamentals are there. If it would, it would appear. The fundamentals are there. We are at a real takeoff point for growth. The issue is, and this is something I'm conscious of, we're running out of space. We need people to build space. Toronto has gone through this, whereby Toronto waited till it was pretty well behind the eight ball before they have built space. And now you've got something like 10 or 11 million square feet in the pipe, of which 75% is, uh, is accounted for when it comes online. We don't have any space in the pipeline. And if we continue at the level of growth that we're experiencing, we will run out of space in the next couple of years. And on a personal level, I worry that in this era where people have choice and people can locate anywhere, do we risk losing out to Montreal, Toronto, Waterloo, Columbus, Ohio? You name the place because space isn't so much, you know, it's quality of life that attracts people, but if there's no space, they're going to go somewhere else. The so, next big Shopify looking for a home. Maybe not even the next big Shopify. I mean, the nice thing about Shopify, they've given a critical mass, but it's those 10, 20, 30,000 square foot companies that either are local born and want to expand or coming in from the States. So, you know, I don't want to overplay a crisis, but I'm just saying we're going to get uncomfortably snug in our office market. So what's the cause of that? Is that just not enough office zoned land in the core? Is that the, the height restriction that you can't build above the height of the parliament building? Like, or maybe no, that we, drives me crazy. Or go the other way around. What's the solution then? How do you build more space? Well, the solution is a couple of things. One, we have a lot of really wonderful institutional owners in Ottawa. And I say that they're our friends and they offer a quality product, but they're not a merchant developer. So they're not going to have that look to how do I seize upon an opportunity. We used to have in Ottawa a fair number of merchant developers who, for whatever reason, have gone to other cities. Broccolini, I know you chatted with James Beach. He would be one of the groups that I would say has come into Ottawa and become a merchant developer, and they have been wildly successful in contributing to the skyline of Ottawa, both industrially, residentially, and office-wise. We need more groups like that. But then it's as I circle back to the point of lenders being risk averse, is commercial real estate is a pretty big gamble, right? You're putting $100 million in a building for success. People aren't necessarily wanting to pony up and put that money out for a maybe. 
Yeah, and especially if you're building on spec or correct. partially leased. Correct. Sure. And Ottawa being a smaller market, we're not going to have that preponderance of tenants wanting to take 50% of a building to kick it off. We'll have maybe four or five, 20, 30,000 square foot tenants. So I think we need merchant developers and it would be nice if the lending community would loosen their thresholds a bit. But I think the first step is getting that merchant visionary developer who can then spin a story of success on the fundamentals that we have to get new building. On the industrial front, it's merchant developers, but with a shortage of land. That's, That's the big the one challenge. there. When uh, Amazon ran their big HQ2 beauty contest, Ottawa participated, as did mm-hmm. Toronto and Vancouver. When you were contemplating that, I mean, everybody who's in one of the cities must have thought about how their city stacks up <clears> against <throat> others. Do you think about this crunch at that time? Do you see it as a weakness in the bid for that uh, great honor? No, I, for, so I was part of the Amazon HQ2 bid and a couple of things. We didn't see it as a limiter because nobody could really deal with 3 million square feet or however many it was rate available, move in, right? And we had the land to accommodate that on the office perspective. Now, a couple of things. Personally, I'm glad, as I think a lot of business owners in Ottawa are, that Amazon didn't come to town. We love Amazon. Don't, Don't get me wrong. And I'm speaking personally, not as a representative of CB on this one. Uh, because any large user, if a 3 million square foot user came to Ottawa, that would have a vacuum effect that would siphon all your talent away from existing business. That, in its sense, is a risk. So I'm glad that we didn't win that large user. But one thing that really came about in Ottawa is when, and it was a real grassroots effort responding to the Amazon RFP. And what happened was people were sitting around looking at Ottawa, looking at what we had to offer. And there was like a switch went within the business community, the tech community, where everyone started to go move away from, well, we're boring old Ottawa to, yeah, we've really got something that can offer something on a global stage for companies to come to Ottawa. So there was a real pride in the sense of the city and a belief that we can be more than just a government town. We've always been very modest. Oh, we're just Ottawa. But now we're starting to really believe in the fundamentals that we can contribute to Canada's business economy. And if you look at the reports, I'll be self-serving here, CBRE puts out a Canadian tech talent report. But in that, Ottawa ranks second as a a tech hub in Canada. And it's interesting. Here's a stat that you might might not have thought of, but our tech density in Ottawa, tech as a per capita basis, is the same level as San Francisco. So we have the same level of density there. We are a tech hub and we're the highest in Canada. We're the highest educated population, the greatest tech density. I heard somewhere it was the uh, the autonomous vehicle capital of North America. Well, so the nice thing, God bless freezing rain because it's finally given us reason to have a test track made in Ottawa because it's one thing to test drive your autonomous vehicles in Florida. But it's another one when your car is caked with ice and it's minus 30. So our city and Invest Ottawa have built on a world-class test track. And so we are finding ways to, to really differentiate ourselves. And, you know, we're in the shadow of our government presence, right? So we're now trying to take our tech and move it into the daylight. And it stands alone with any North American city. I mean, San Francisco, Washington, certainly Toronto by sheer numbers are juggernauts, 
but from us from in terms of world-class thought, in terms of education and the ability to churn out talent, we're in the top half of cities in North America being able to do that and freezing rain for your autonomous vehicle <laughs> testing. I'll tell you a personal story about Ottawa real quick. When I started going there for business five or six years ago, the same message I got from everybody I met with was kind of the same. If I seen them in a you know social setting for work and they'd apologize and go, I'm, I'm sorry that Ottawa is so quiet. Like I was expecting a packed nightclub on a Tuesday night or something like that. But the way you're speaking, it does sound like it will be a livelier nightlife in Ottawa. It'll be a livelier city, maybe if you're from a generation or two ago going forward. 100%. We're not Toronto. We don't want to be Toronto. You're Toronto. But certainly, if you look at restaurants, a vibrant life, uh, again, people in Ottawa really embrace the outdoors. It's on our back step. It's not all due respect to Toronto, not a two-hour drive and only the haven of millionaires. It is in everyone's backyard, and it is a very fundamental piece of the Ottawa experience. Families love it. And that's why we're getting that nucleus of people. If you want that nightclub on a Tuesday night, it will be there, but there won't be 30 of them. And change is slow. Who knows? Maybe in 10 years, we will be at that. But we are a long way. And I'm going to say it, Ottawa was boring. There was nothing happening unless you wanted to eat trail mix and make maple syrup, right? That was all there was. But now we've got all that. And we've got you know, real world-class offerings, art, festivals, everything that people could want. I like the impassioned view of Going home to talk to my wife about moving to Ottawa. (laughs) And it's affordable. Let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah, you make money. I can sell my house and buy three in Ottawa. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, we want to thank you a lot for doing the podcast with us today. We want to thank First National for powering the podcast. And we want to thank Informa for hosting us here at the Ottawa Real Estate Forum. Once again, Sean, thanks a lot. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That was fun. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.